And he is that mediator that stands between us and God. And there's something unique about Jesus, though. Not only is he the mediator, but unlike Moses, Jesus is also God who mediates, but also being God. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. In Galatians 3, we're going to look at verses 15 through 29 today, finishing out the chapter here. Not that we planned it whatsoever, but sandwiched in between uh, the first portion of Galatians that we looked at a couple of weeks ago up to verse 14. Uh, Kevin taught last week from Genesis chapter 22, which dealt with much of what we're looking at in this chapter and dealing with Abraham offering up his son Isaac. In verse 19, it tells us, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through the angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for only one, but God is one. So he asks the question, he's just doing the argument for the Judaizers, then why did the Lord give us the law? What purpose does it serve if keeping the law doesn't make us righteous before God? And Paul answers, it was added because of transgression. This sense of our righteousness. We were talking about this a little bit at the end of our men's Bible study yesterday morning. That as believers, so often we can get into a discipline of life thinking that we become more saved or more better. I'm going to use all bad terms here, but it doesn't work by the things that we do. When we do that, we try to add to what Christ has already done for us. In the keeping of the Ten Commandments, what was its purpose? It was added because of transgressions. It was added to help us to realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. In Romans chapter 7, verse 7, Paul says, On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law has said, you shall not covet. He would go on to say, there was a time I was alive without the law. He had no knowledge of the law. He was just living his life and carefree in that sense. But then the word of God came and there was this exposure 
of his need for a savior. We often can use the Ten Commandments in witnessing to others and and simply say, let me ask you a question. Have you ever lied? And if you're honest, you will say yes. If you're not honest, you'll say no, and then you just got proved as a liar right there. Have you ever stolen anything? Now, I've never taken anything of large value, but... I am sure somewhere in the course of my life, especially as a child, I probably have taken some things that didn't belong to me. Now, we can use that to expose that we are sinners according to the Word of God. Everything from obeying your father and mother. Now, I don't know what child has ever been raised perfect except for Jesus. I know that I experienced discipline as a child often, because I wasn't always obedient as a child. The sense of obedience or you shall not commit adultery or shall not murder. And and then when Jesus took those same laws and brought them to the New Testament, he stretched them further and he, he made them the inward actions of our hearts. And he says, you know, the word says, it says of old, you shall not murder. But I say unto you, if you even get angry at your brother and say, Raka, you fool to him, you are in danger of the judgment. He makes it, no, I've never killed anyone, but have you ever had that thought, ooh, I would, ooh. You know, the thought is there. That's sufficient, the Lord says, for the breaking of the commandments. And then he uses the idea of you shall not commit adultery. And so you've never physically committed the act of adultery, but Jesus said, if you ever look upon a woman with lust in your eyes, you've already committed the act. And vice versa with men. Look upon a man with lust in your eyes, you've committed the act. So we're guilty. The law was there because of transgression. There was, for a season, we didn't know it. We didn't know we were in sin against the Lord or against the law. But God revealed it to us. And then we discover that we have not lived up to the righteous standards of God. My wife had, and we've been talking about this in the book of Galatians, but she had a discussion with someone and their thought of heaven and the idea of, well, I live a good enough life. My goodness will get me to heaven. You know, it it tends to be the number one answer for anyone in the sense of, they have no knowledge of Christ or they have knowledge. They're not willing to accept the work of Jesus Christ. They want to base their salvation to stand before a holy and righteous God because they have done enough good to outweigh the bad that they've done in their life. Now, that is the thought process. Even in Israel today, because they don't actually have a sacrifice, there is no temple, there is no altar, so there is no sacrifice. On the Day of Atonement today, since they can't shed the blood, they spend a couple of weeks before that time helping old ladies across the street. I mean, they just, they get really good to try to make up for all the things that they have done throughout the whole year. Do you think you can, in one or two weeks, make up for 50 weeks of not living as God would have you to live? They have this sense of, if we're only good enough, we'll let our good outweigh the bad, and then God will accept us. The Lord says there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
our good will never come to the place of righteousness in the sight of God. Maybe righteousness with your peers, but not righteousness in the sight of God. It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come, whom the promise was made, until Jesus. And it was appointed by a mediator, the Lord giving the word to Moses. And the Moses we find in Scripture, he was a mediator between the nation of Israel. Israel, God said, I'll make you all priests, and you can all hear my voice. And one time they stood before the mountain of God, and, and they saw the thunderings and the lightnings, and they heard the voice, and they told Moses after that, you go talk to him. You come back and tell us what he said. We'll follow you. God said, I want to talk to all of you. And, and they were just so freaked out because of all that they saw and heard at that one event. They told Moses, you be the mediator for us. In verse 20, it's, it's an obscure verse, probably the oddest verse in all of Galatians. And one of the commentators said in all of the New Testament where the question is wondering, is the mediator in verse 20, now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Are they referring to Moses, referring back to the law? Are they referring to Jesus or another? Just kind of threw in this, and it's seemingly out of context statement of the mediator. You know, the first time I read this, and I read all the arguments since, I thought of this verse in 1 Timothy 2.5, where it tells us, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There is a mediator that stands between us. It's not Moses. It's not me. It's not your pastor. Trust me. I have enough to deal with my own responsibility for my own life. I wouldn't want to be responsible for you. You wouldn't want me to be responsible for you because you'd discover that I would fail you, and I probably have in times past. But Jesus Christ will never fail. And he is that mediator that stands between us and God. And there's something unique about Jesus, though. Not only is he the mediator, but unlike Moses, Jesus is also God, who mediates in the place of God, but also being God. So we have Jesus Christ, our mediator, that stands between us and the Father. And the reason he's able to mediate is because he's paid the price of our sin. In verse 21, it says, Is the law then against the promise of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been of the law. But Scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So he's saying, if the law could have brought life, it's not contrary, it's not against the promise. Again, the law was given just to reveal our need for the Messiah, our need for the Savior. If a law would have been given that we could have obtained it. I was uh, reading in Second Kings, and Naaman was a Syrian general who had leprosy, if you remember, and he went to the king of Israel because he had heard that in Israel there was a prophet that could heal him of his condition. And the king was just so upset when he received this letter from the king of Syria saying, here's my number one guy, and we heard that you can heal him, so heal him and send him back to me. And 
The king ripped his clothes and said, Am I God that I could do such things? And Elijah heard that the king had torn his clothes, and he said, Send Naaman to me. Send him to me. And so Naaman went to where Elijah lived, and Scripture tells us that Elijah didn't even come out. He just sent word and said, Go dip in the Jordan seven times and you'll be clean. Naaman was furious. We went to Israel in 2004, and I can tell you that the water was dirty. <laughs> and, and Naaman was saying, and he named two rivers in Syria. Are not the rivers, and he names them in Syria so much better. Why can't I go there and, and dip seven times and get clean? I mean, the Jordan looked like an overgrown muddy creek to me when we were there. And in our mind, we think, how could you dip into that? How could you wash and become clean? Now, his servant, Naaman's servant, said, you know, if, if the prophet would have told you to have done something great, like, let's say, go slay a seven-headed dragon, and you will be clean of leprosy, you would have done it, wouldn't you? He says, but he asked you to do this simple thing. And so Naaman went down and he dipped down seven times and he was made clean. If a law was given, even if it was something great that we could obtain, we would try. But there is no law that has been given that we could have life. So the law wasn't in opposition against the promise. It was given to reveal our sin, but it was also given, as he'll say in a moment in verse 20, to be a tutor for us until our Savior came. So we've been all confined under sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, according to the word of God, that by faith in Jesus Christ, we might be given to those who believe. Verse 23, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for faith, which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So this idea of a tutor in the New Testament time, especially the Romans, they had this formality of the heir of their household. And with the Romans, they tended to have mistresses, um, lovers, and wives. They actually would have three or several more, basically three in three categories. They had a wife that raised the heir of their home. But they had a mistress just to run around town with and then someone to actually, I can say it's church, I know, but to make love with in that sense. Now, obviously, there was sexual relations with all three women, but there was the wife who gave birth to the heir. Now, the difference with uh, the heir is that until he became of age, he was kind of considered like a slave in the household. Little Johnny would have had a tutor then, teaching him, training him, teaching him, guiding him in the ways of life. But once little Johnny graduated, then the tutor's job is done. Once there's the graduation, whether it's high school, college, a doctorate, once you've went through all the schooling, once you've received your diploma or certificate, you have no need of the teacher anymore. It's not that you don't respect the teacher, you, not that you don't 
maybe you don't respect the teacher even though you made it through. But you can still have kind thoughts toward it, but that person isn't over you anymore. Once you have become the graduate, once you have graduated with the heir of the household, he was seen, and we'll get into this in chapter 4 because he deals with it even further in the first few verses of chapter 4. But he was seen equally as a slave until he became the heir of the house. Once he became the heir of the house, he had no need of the tutor any longer. And so the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The law became that tool to show us that we have sinned and fall short of the glory of the God. The law was that tool that continues to work in my life, even to this day, to reveal to me my constant need for a Savior. Not that I'm getting resaved over and over again, but the law is that tool that God continues to use. It's a guide that we use in our life. It's still good. I highly respect the law of God. It is God's righteousness. The problem with the law is that we can't keep it. Only one man has ever been able to keep it, and that man is Jesus Christ. Scripture, confining all under sin, were kept by guard by the law until Christ was revealed, and through faith in him, we find our justification, that, that word in the sense that we are just before God, just as if we have never sinned. But after faith has come, we have no longer need of the tutor. We are no longer under the tutor. Verse 26 says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. For there is neither Jew or Greek, or neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I just want to back up and look at verse 27, because I like two of the Greek words that are found there. The word where it tells us we've been baptized into Christ, baptizo in the Greek, it means to be immersed, it means to be submerged, to be overwhelmed. I like that sense that we have been, when we have been overwhelmed by Christ, we have been immersed into Christ. You know, that's why when we baptize, we put you down. And if you're bad enough, I'll hold you down. (laughs) But you're going to be wet. Induo is the other Greek word that speaks about putting on the garment of Christ. And that is the sense of the translation of that in the strong says the sense of sinking into a garment. Have you ever just been chilled and you put on a blanket around you just to kind of warm up? He says you have put on Christ. He has become your covering. And you just rest in that sink into Christ, submerge yourself into him. And I I like the sense of that. We have put on Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, through faith in the work that he did on the cross. He has become our covering. We have been baptized, immersed into him. And it's because of that we stand before the Lord, neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. 
And he said, if you are in Christ, then verse 29, you are of Abraham's seed and heirs to the promise. Now we're going to continue on in chapter four with that theme. He's not done talking about the heir and a child as of yet, but we'll look at that next week. Today, I just want us to realize that there is nothing that we can personally do in and of ourselves to bring us into fellowship with God. There's no good work. And it's not that we're not to do good things, but those things that we do, they're not going to make us any more a believer in Jesus Christ. They're not going to make us any more saved in the sense of standing before God because it's not based on our works. Our salvation is based upon faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he did in our behalf. And in verse 17, that it was confirmed before God in Christ. It's by promise in verse 18. In verse 22, it's by faith in Christ Jesus that salvation is given to those who believe. In verse 23, it's, it's faith that has been revealed through Christ Jesus. We've been justified by faith in verse 24. And then after faith, there is no need of a tutor any longer. Verse 26, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are all sons of God. It all hinges on Jesus Christ. And the Lord has invited all of us to baptismo, to immerse ourselves in him. He's invited us all to put on Christ, to just get that warm garment on, to sink into it and just, ooh, it feels so good. And you know what? Salvation is that way. Because apart from Christ, we are naked before God. And I don't know if we always sense that nakedness. But one day, we'll stand before the Lord. And if we stand before the Lord in our own righteousness, we will understand what it means to be naked before God. Being able to see all and know all. But to be able to stand before the Lord, immersed and with his garment of Christ upon us, we are then declared righteous and just. It's that sense of just as though you have never sinned. We know it's, we have sinned, but Christ has paid the price. And we are his. I pray that you know that you are his. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this study that we've been going through in the book of Galatians and Lord, it could be as believers, we have kind of gotten into the motions of doing good things to try to shore up or better our salvation. And Lord, this is just a great reminder that it is all about you. And we strip everything away, Lord. What we need is you in our lives. And I pray that each person here knows that today. Pray that you would bless us, Lord, as we continue to go through your word. May we be strengthened, may we grow, and may we draw closer to you with each day a realization of our great need for you. Help us, Lord, to, to put on Christ.
to put on that garment of salvation and to rest in it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was just thinking of that as I was closing out. Many of you know my testimony. Years ago, I had accepted Christ as my Savior, and then there was a season in my life for a couple of years where I was wondering if I was actually saved. So there was this a debate in my own mind, and God was letting me work through it. It took a couple of years to get me through it, to realize that all I ever needed was Jesus, and all I needed to do was rest in him. You know, if I look at my life and try to judge my salvation based off the things I do or don't do, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm in big trouble. But if I look at my life and realize, Lord, I need you. I need you to cover my sins. And I want to put you on and let you be my covering. Then according to the word of God, we stand righteous before God. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Amen.